This is the Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. Well, we continue on in Colossians. It's good to have you with us, however you're watching it, whether live right now, or I know most of you watch it later on and during the week. You can watch it. It stays on the Norco YouTube, um, Norco Facebook uh, channel there, as we are right now, and also the Norco NBCC Norco YouTube station there too, on social media, both platforms, you can watch it at any time. Uh, I just invite you to do that, or you can download as a podcast. Um, these uh, Bible studies are designed to take you a little bit deeper into the Word of God and to create disciples in a world that's trying to curve your thinking in correct ways, and every generation is like that, but we have the Word of God, which is truth. And it's truth that's going to re uh, cause a rethinking in you, because whatever you think is whatever you do. So we want you to think like Christ. And Paul has already taken us through putting off an old nature, the old ways of our life. And you've seen things in your life that have fallen off and fallen away as you begin to walk in Christ and the Spirit of God's in you. But we've been on this path right now with Paul as he's saying, put on this and put on this and put on this, because it's like changing clothes, taking off the old dirty stuff and putting on the new clean stuff and walking like Christ. And we've also stated that you know, this whole thing is like becoming the, an original human being. Uh, you know, what was Adam and Eve before sin? What was that like? Well, we're looking at some of these things. I, I have to firmly believe this. That as, as Paul is stating these things, this is where we want to come to live to, through this renewing of the mind, to become like an original human being. It's so much better relationally. Jesus will make your life better. It's just that simple. If you follow him and you trust these words. So, <clears throat> here we go. I want to pick up um, and add to what we left off with last week, and, and that is love. So, first thing I'm going to say is this. Love is the glue to all relationships. It's the glue. Look at Colossians 3 and verse 14. It says, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Mm -mm -mm. All these, you put on love. It's the perfect bond of unity. Now, let's break some things down. Bond. It literally is the idea of a ligament, a joint, a tie, a uniting principle. Now, ligaments. We have ligaments in our body. It, what ligaments do is they connect bone to bone. It keeps structures together. It keeps structures stable. Meaning, without ligaments, our body would be all disconnected and we just fall apart of the joints. Can you imagine? So we need ligaments. And so love is the ligament that holds things together. Here's the truth, though. Here's the flip side truth. Satan loves to tear marriages apart. Just read Genesis 3. The first attack was on marriage. He loves to tear families apart. Chapter 4, Cain and Abel, he goes after the family. He loves to tear friendships apart. Just read the New Testament. you find it all over the place. He loves to tear churches apart. Paul writes to many disagreements in churches where Satan is trying to rip churches, local bodies, apart. <clears throat> Key truth. In marriages, in families, in friendships, in churches, you're going to have disagreements. It's what it is. People have differing views on certain things. Because 
The Bible doesn't speak to everything. It can't cover every situation in life. You can have different things, and there's some gray areas in there. That's just normal stuff. But if you're not careful, those differences, they can cause such a rift. They can cause such a divide if you're not careful. So what can hold your relationships and friendships and families and churches and marriages together when you look at certain specific things different ways? It's easy. Love. Love is the ligament. Even though I disagree with that, I still love you. I'm not going to walk away from you. I'm stuck with you. We're ligamented together. It keeps us together. It keeps us stable. Jesus said this, a new commandment I give to you. Hmm. What is that one? That you love one another. Mm. Even as, there's an even as, just as again. Even as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. That's a massive statement. Jesus raises the bar high on love. And he calls it a commandment. Whoa. He's saying, you, Jim, you so-and-so out there, you go there and you go love that person over there, period. Don't give me your excuses. Don't give me your justifications. If Jesus were a marriage counselor and you went to him, he would tell you, you go home and love your spouse. But my spouse is a skunk. You go home and love him anyway. And then he adds in that verse, he says, as I have loved you. Wow. We're to love the way Jesus loved us. This applies to all relationships. Sibling, familial, church, friendship, you know, teammate. What, remember, and, and remember, he didn't say, uh, I, a, a new option I give to you. It's not an option. You know, an option is you can hand off to the, the running back. You can, you can run, veer out and have the tailback running out. You can option here. You can option to run the football. You have all these options. No, he's not giving you an option. He said a new commandment. It's a commandment. This is what you're going to do if you're a follower of Christ. And this is the evidence that people will know you're the real deal. And if you're not doing that, you're not the real deal. And you're destroying the credibility of Christianity. Love is the glue, man. Love is the glue. It's the only thing that's going to ligament people and churches and families together even when you have disagreements. Love is the glue. It's not an option. It's not an option. You're not at a buffet going, well, I'll choose this and not that. No, this is the meal and it's love. Now, next up, the second thing he says is, let peace be your umpire. Watch Colossians 3.15. Let peace be your umpire. He says in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Now, peace. It's the idea of a community peace. Well, that makes perfect sense. If love is the ligament glue that holds people together, then you have peace based on that love that's a community peace that's held together. He says, let that community peace rule in your heart. The word rule it means to preside over a game. It means to judge a match. We call those umpires and referees, okay? So peace is the umpire and the referee of our life to keep us in line, to keep peace, to follow the commandment of love. 
In verse 15, Paul ties it to one body. So if we're going to keep the body, whatever that is, the family, the friendships, uh, the body of Christ strong, <clears throat> in spite of our different things and ways look at it, and it begins with love. And love brings community peace. And community peace, put all together, keeps the body, the family, the church, the friendship, the marriage, ligamented together. And peace is the umpire. So when you have friction, you need to go and see, how can I bring peace to this situation? You know when Jesus says in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers? Remember that? That should be called the sons of God. It's not the idea of like, oh, I have peace. No, it's those who bring peace to situations. Those who walk into divisions and bring peace. Those who walk into strife and bring peace. That's a true son of God. They know you're Christians by your love for one another and then love and peace, it ligaments everything together. Now, let's not forget the very end of the verse, verse 15. He said, be thankful. So number three I want to share you is just be thankful. Now question, why would Paul add, be thankful? Maybe... I'm just thinking out loud because people are not thankful. <clears throat> Maybe being thankful is good for our soul. Maybe. Maybe being thankful will help us to be okay with whatever we have in life. Maybe. <clears throat> Or maybe being thankful will bring us the peace that we so strive for when everything we've acquired just doesn't quite satisfy us. Maybe. I think so. You know, they do studies. Studies are great, aren't they? <laughs> and they find that Americans who have so much are some of the most unhappy people around. Look, I, I just kind of feel this way. I think this way that I think at the average person, most of us maybe will come to the point where we realize that all the things we have, they just give us momentary happiness and peace. It, it, it's cool. It's great. But it doesn't last. The peace doesn't last. The, the happiness doesn't last, does it? I heard the statement a couple years back and I haven't forgot it, and I've shared, I think, a couple times, but I want to share it again here. I thought it made so much sense to me. So most people have much to be thankful for, but have no one to be thankful to. Let me say it again. Most people have much to be thankful for, but have no one to be thankful to. Oh, many people say, I'm so thankful, but to who? To who? Look, you and I go to a restaurant. We ask the waiter for, you know, soda, food, whatever. And then they bring it to us. They're serving us. They bring us the food. They bring us the, the, the Coke or the Pepsi or whatever. And we say, at least we should say, thank you. Now, I'm saying thankful, thank you to an actual person for what they've done for me. See, I'm thankful to someone, and so are you. 
But if I don't know God, who do I say thank you to? Myself for everything I have in the driveway, in the house, and this and that in the bank? Do I say, oh, I thank me? That's kind of weird. I thank me? Be careful with this. Because there's a man in the Old Testament by the name of Nebuchadnezzar who doesn't give glory to God. He doesn't give thanks to God. And he's warned. He's been warned. And he's out on his rooftop about a year after he's been warned and he's looking at the kingdom of Babylon everything he's building. He goes, look at all that I've done. Babylon, what I have done, what I've done. And instantly, God strikes him down. He goes crazy. Because he was warned that God gave you all this. And he takes credit to himself. He's saying, I thank me. I thank me. And he goes nuts for seven years until he repents. See, I need someone to be thankful to. And that person is God. Because all good things come down from the Father of lights. All good things. <clears throat> See, when you live a life that's thankful to God and just being thankful, you know, it brings peace to the soul. It just brings tremendous contentment. It brings satisfaction. It brings all those things. <clears throat> and who isn't looking for peace, satisfaction, and contentment? Every one of us is. Now, watch this. Watch this in verse 16. <clears throat> it continues this idea of thanks. He says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom and teaching and admonishment, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Mmm, that's interesting. Now, <clears throat> we're to sing with a thankfulness in our hearts to God. You know what that means? That means worship is a major component of our lives and of giving thanks to God. We're to worship God regularly. We're to thank God regularly. We're to give thanks to God regularly. You know what's so interesting to me? You know, we, we use our words for so many different things. We could talk about different things, various things. We could talk about money, sports, dating, you know. We call people idiots, you know. We can yell at the TV when our team's not, not winning. We can even say cuss words to people. So we can use our voice. Boy, we can use, but then we come to church, and if we even do show up, um, then we go mute. We hit mute button. It hit the mute. I'm on mute right now. The songs are going, everybody's worshiping. Hands in pocket, I'm on mute. Do you ever wonder why people put themselves on mute in the worship service? You ever wonder why that is? I'll ask a better question with that one. Do you really think the devil is going to let you worship? You really think he's going, oh, I'm so glad they're at worship today. I hope they sing. No. No. See, there's spiritual warfare going on in a worship service, and some of us keep losing. See, when we're in a worship service, and they're singing the songs, and people are worshiping, and I'm there, I'm on mute. I'm not going to worship with my voice. I have a big question for you. At that moment, who is calling the shots in your life? Who's directing you? And please don't say you are. Realize in that moment, you are a slave, and you're a slave to the devil who's whispered in your ear in the first person, you are not going to sing. You are not going to experience God because worship is an experience of God. 
and it's a way to say thank you. <clears throat> I, wanted you I want to end today on that thought because it's something every one of us needs to think about. When we come to worship service, why do some of us hit the mute button? Right outside of here, unmute, and we could talk about anything else. Why is that? Why is that? Who is calling the shots in your life? Let's pause there. Just want you to think about it. We'll see you next time. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.